no sense of time, no sense of space, no order, no light, no life, nothing. It's hard to frame my mind around what that looks like. Sometimes it's even harder for me to wrap my mind around the fact that in this land of nothing, there was an eternal, all-wise, divine creator who created something from nothing. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just like that, prophet Isaiah would speak of his eternal plan. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 5. The Bible says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for And the text talks about how the Spirit of God could not dwell with man anymore. God regretted that he had made man, and he wipes out man with a flood. He starts all over with a man by the name of Noah, who the Bible talks about was blameless in his generation. Noah obeyed God. Noah glorified God. And Noah and all of his descendants from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and all of their descendants would forever be God's people, his special people, his set-apart people, his covenant people, the people who would fulfill his eternal plan, the people who would glorify him in all that they did. Sadly, again, they failed to glorify God. There's a pattern of sin and repentance. Sin and repentance. God would send foreign nations to oppress the Israelites. They would cry out to God and repent. God would deliver them. The pattern continues. They go into Babylonian captivity. They spend about 70 years in Babylonian captivity. The Lord is so gracious, He delivers them from captivity. And the people continue to sin. The people continue to disrespect God. They fail to revere God. They fail to glorify God. And their sin and their wickedness comes to a head all the way at the end of the Old Testament in the days of Malachi. This is post-exile, and God's people have completely lost their minds. 
The priesthood has been corrupted. The marriage covenant has been defiled. The people are worshiping and serving idols. And the people are giving God half-hearted worship. And the Lord says to them in Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. In verse number 10. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. I will be praised, I will be honored, I will be glorified. Why? Because that's my eternal plan. That's my plan. He continues to say, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12, But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name will be feared among the nations. sitting in heaven on his high and exalted throne. He turns to his right, and he says to his son, capital S, it's time. It's time for you to go. It's time for you to leave your throne, and it's time for you to go. Go to that messed up earth where people are not respecting me, where people do not revere me, where people do not glorify me. It's time for you to go there. It's time for you to be rejected. It's time for you to be despised. It's time for you to be spit at beaten, struck, mocked. It's time for you to be killed for my glory. And the Son of Man says, okay. And he goes. And John would write in John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who was the Word? Drop down to verse 14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what? We have seen his glory as a son from the father, full of grace and truth. We have seen the glory of God. Christ is the glory of God. Christ is the eternal plan of God. We saw his glory when he came to this earth and humbly submitted himself to an earthly father and mother. We saw his glory when he came to this earth and he went about preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. 
We saw his glory when he went about healing the sick, causing the blind to see, casting out demons, raising men and women from the dead. We saw his glory when he spent his time with invalids. We saw his glory when he spent his time with the scum of the earth. We saw his glory when he girded himself with a towel and got on his knees and washed his apostles' feet. We saw his glory in those final hours just before one of his own would disclose him in the book of Acts. He's seated in the upper room with 11 of his apostles. He's about to pour out his blood for the sins of the world. And we saw his glory when he lifts up his eyes to heaven and he cries out to God the Father, and praise on behalf of me and on behalf of you. We saw the Lord's glory in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is one of the most fascinating passages of Scripture. Because here we have a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. We have a glimpse into the mind of Jesus. Christ is having a conversation with God the Father. And we can see his, his thoughts. We can feel his emotions, and the beautiful thing is he's praying for me and he's praying for you. We see the glory of God in John chapter 17. Hang on to every single word. John chapter 17 and verse number 1. The text says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Christ prays to God the Father to be glorified so that the Father would be glorified. Christ's glorification came from the cross. Christ's glorification came through his death, John chapter 12. God and Christ's glorification resulted in our eternal life. God and Christ's glorification resulted in our salvation. And so the text continues to say in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now Christ is about to pray a prayer on behalf of his apostles. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that everything that you have given me is from you. Verse 8, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except 
the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus is referring to Judas. That's how we know that this part of the prayer is on behalf of his apostles. The text continues to say in verse 13, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Christ prays on behalf of his apostles. He asked the Lord to protect his apostles. He asked the Lord to keep his apostles unified. And he asked the Lord to sanctify them in truth, set them apart in truth. Why? Because it would be the apostles' duty to preach the entire world truth. And by the apostles' teaching, the entire world would come to know God, they would believe in God, they would be unified in Christ, and they would ultimately see God and be with God forever in eternity when his apostles were sanctified in truth. This would happen. Continuing in verse 20, Christ begins to pray for the world. He begins to pray for me and for you. Verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's me. That's you. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. The glory that God the Father had, the glory that Christ had, been given to us, that we may be one, even as God the Father, even as Christ are one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, and they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with you where I am to see my glory that you have given me. John chapter 17, in a nutshell. Christ prayed to be glorified so that God the Father would be glorified. Christ's glorification came through the cross. Christ's glorification resulted in our salvation. Christ prays on behalf of his apostles to remain in truth so that they may teach the world truth, so that the world would come to know God, so that the world would believe in God, so that the world would be unified, and so that the world would ultimately see God in all of his glory. God and Christ's glory was all about us. In our world today, when we think of someone being glorified, it's all about them. It's all about singing their praises, all about exalting them. It's all about showing the world how big and bad they are. It's all about having everyone, as my mom used to say, ooh and awe over them. God and Christ's glorification wasn't about them. It was about us. That's fascinating. That's weird. That's strange. That's a peculiar glory. And so, since God and Christ's glorification was all about us, our glorification should be all about them. Our lives should be all about them. 
Paul makes this point very, very clear in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, as the Apostle Paul is talking about the spiritual blessings that we share in Christ, he says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11, In him, Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be what? To the praise of his glory. Since we have this wonderful inheritance, since we have um, this redemption, since we have forgiveness of our sins, since we have this hope, since we have Christ, our lives should be to the praise of his glory. Since Christ's glorification was all about us, our glorification should be all about him. The text continues to say in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Not only, not only was God the Father's glorification about us, not only was God the Son's glorification about us, the Holy Spirit's glorification was about us. And Paul finishes the statement by saying, we live our lives to the praise of your glory. So we ask ourselves, what does this look like? Since Christ died so that I would be glorified, I'm going to die so that he'll be glorified. That's point number one. Since Christ died so that I'll be glorified, I'm going to die so that he'll be glorified. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6. At the point of baptism, we have been united with Christ in a death like his. And when we come up from out of that water, we walk in newness of life. The old man of sin has been crucified. The old man of sin has died, and we live a new kind of life. We live for Christ, following after his pattern, living our lives according to his will, his wants, and his desires. Jesus would tell us in Luke chapter 9, and verse 23, all who desire to live godly, excuse me, I'm getting my passages messed up, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, his death instrument daily, and follow me, worship me, serve me. Last week, David talked about the, the significance of the cross. The cross was a death instrument. It was a shameful thing. Jesus is saying we must take that up every single day and worship him, serve him, and follow him. Romans chapter 12, Paul would say he's going to give his life as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, it's not me who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. I'm going to die. I'm going to die and I want to live for him. In Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul talks about his former life, where he came from. He says he has all the reason in the world to boast and to exalt about where he came from. He was a Jew who was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the tribe of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to the zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to the zeal that comes by the righteousness of law, he was blameless. He was a perfect Jew. All of that up when he heard about Christ. When he found out about Christ, he was willing to die. That old man was willing to die. That old man was willing to put on a new kind of life. 
was willing to walk in the pattern of Jesus so that he could be all that God would have him to be. Since, back to the original point, since God's glorification was about us, our glorification is going to be about him. And the first thing that we do to glorify God is to die. The old man of sin dies and we walk in newness of life. The second thing that we are going to do is preach. We're going to preach. In John chapter 17, in verse 4, in John chapter 17, in verse number 4, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus says to his Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. God sent Christ to this earth to accomplish a type of work. God sent Christ into this earth to save the world from destruction, a world that was dying spiritually from destruction. Likewise, we too must accomplish the work that God has given us to do. What is that work? Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're making a disciple. That person is now a Christian. But Jesus continues to say, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Once someone becomes a Christian, we have to continue to teach. We have to continue to preach. We make disciples, and we continue to teach, and we continue to preach. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, after those 3,000 souls were saved, they were saved, but the text continued to say, and they continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we have to do, ladies and gentlemen. We have to save souls, and we have to continue to teach them. We have to fulfill the work that God has given us to do. Acts 17, verse 6, text talks about how the apostles turned the world upside down. That should be our mission. Turn the world upside down. Change the hearts of men through the gospel. And when we do that, when we do that, we are glorifying God. We are giving God all of the praise, all of the honor, and all of the glory that he is due because we are preaching his word. The role of a preacher and a teacher is not just the one who's in the pulpit. It's not just the one who's in pulpits across the nation and across the world. It's all of our mission, all of our duty, and all of our responsibility to go out into this world and preach and teach the gospel. Paul would say in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, how shall they, the world, call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall this world call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall uh, Tennessee believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without someone preaching to them? How shall Spring Hill, Tennessee, hear without someone? Preach the word of God and continue to teach the word of God for the glory of God. God's glorification was all about us. And so our glorification should be all about him. And when the world around us sees how we walk around and we live with a different purpose, a different spirit, we, we, we um, are so... Um, enamored with, with helping others and we are um, always thinking about other people and we're living like Christ, we're talking like Christ, we're uh, going out teaching the word of Christ. When the world sees this, they're going to see God. I often quote this passage, Matthew 5, 16, when we let our light so shine before men, 
Other people will see our good works and God will be glorified. I quote it all the time because that was God's eternal plan from the very beginning of time, that he be glorified. God's glorification was all about us. Our glorification should be all about him. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you, we adore you, and we glorify you. We are so thankful for your eternal plan. We are so thankful that you sent Christ here to this earth to fulfill that plan. We are so thankful for all of the spiritual blessings that we receive through your glory. We pray that we live our lives in a way that shows appreciation and admiration for what you have done for us. We pray that we will be people who die to self and live for you. And we pray that we will be people who proclaim your word every single day of our lives, everywhere we go. We thank you so much for Jesus and his sacrifice and what that means for us. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one this morning. You do that by faith, belief, repentance, confession, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and full immersion in water. And when you come up from out of that water, you're going to live a new kind of life. You're going to live after the pattern of Jesus. If you've done that in time past, but you've fallen away and you would like to come home, you'd like the prayers and the encouragement of this congregation, we ask that you please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invitation.